Real Nerds is a proud partner of the Denver Podcast Network. In the shadow of the mountains, we speak. Hey everybody, Chad Terry here. Wanted to welcome you out to come and support local filmmakers to celebrate the Best of Denver 48-Hour Film Project. Where, you ask? The Mayan Theater. When? September 12th, 2019. How much is this going to cost me? 13 bucks. That's it, guys. Find us on Facebook at Denver 48-Hour Film Project. Thanks, everybody, and we'll see you at the show. Hey, Real Nerds listeners. There's many ways you can interact with the Real Nerds podcast. You can email us at realnerds at gmail.com. You can hit us on Twitter, at Real Nerds. You want to check us out on Facebook? You can. Just look for Real Nerds Podcast. You want to leave us a voicemail? Just call 720-6NERDS5. You want to listen to our episodes? You can check us out on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Hi, this is Jonathan Tiersten from The Perfect House and Sleepaway Camp, and you are listening to The Real Nerds Podcast. Podcast, unofficially the official podcast of Denver Pop Culture Con 2020 and beyond. I'm your host, Brad, and with me is Zach. And this week we saw It Chapter 2. Stay tuned to the end of the episode and we'll tell you if you should see it or not. Uh, we'll give our review, then we'll do the trailer, and then spoiler territory. Will we answer the question of whether or not we'll float? Um, if we didn't do it last time, then I don't think we will this time. I guess that's a question that'll never be answered in the world of Stephen King or real nerds. Uh, but what else do we do on the show, Brad? Uh, we also talk about movie news, uh, Blu-ray, 4K, DVD releases. We talk about what we've been watching, and we go around town with me. With you? That yes. doesn't sound like a good idea at all. No, no one should do that. No, but indulge me as oh. I go around town. Okay, I will. Hey, film buddies. Follow me around Denver. This week at the Esquire, uh, the midnight movie is Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Ooh, cult favorite. I know it's a favorite of uh, one Ryan Frost's wife, Laura. So uh, I've never seen it, and it's, I have uh, never either. Uh, I just know it's got a very heavy following. So yeah. maybe it, that's something I need it to seems watch. Quite popular. Yeah. Um, I should specify that's the uh, midnight of September 13th and 14th. Ah, September so, uh, 13th. Then the following weekend, September 20th and 21st, is uh, Tommy Wiseau makes an in-person appearance uh, both nights for Ooh. The Room. Oh, hi, Esquire. Get so, ready for some underwear being flung <laughs> at your face. So that's pretty cool. I'll be there. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And then the drive-in has a pretty sweet lineup uh, for horror movie fans. I know. Uh, you can watch a double feature of It and It Chapter 2 back-to-back, followed by Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. That's that's a pretty badass lineup, I'm not going to lie. That's yeah. like one of the best lineups I've seen them do. I don't remember the first It that well, so I'll have to check it out. Well, it's, it's almost as if, though, they figured that people might not remember, and so they're going to help you out a little bit. And it kind of acts as the supercut that Machete wants to do anyway. So yeah. it all works out for us fans. I'm sure they'll put them both on a, on a single package when the second one releases. Well, we'll talk about it in news because there's going to be more than that. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then um, 
What about the uh, 48-hour uh, finals? That's right. The best of 48-hour film project um, screens at the Esqu- or at the, the Mayan mm-hmm. on Thursday, September 12th. Right on. So get your tickets for that. Hopefully this will be up with uh, plenty of notice to give you all the uh, yeah, scoop on that. Give you some days to if if it isn't orders in. If it isn't, then we apologize um, profusely. But do we? I don't know. Do we? Do we apologize? No. No, we don't do that. Yeah, I mean, we want to help chat out as much as we can. Of course we do. There's only so much I can do. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm only one man. I've got this podcast to upload, and then this idiot across from me wants his podcast uploaded. (laughs) Yeah. Podcasting is not the only thing I do in my life, so... That's true. I'll do my best to get this up. I mean, we have promoted it for like three weeks straight so i know so if if no one uh who listens to this show uh has decided to go then you've already made your choice you know right so what are we supposed to do about it but you have if you haven't chosen you should choose to go because it'll be awesome choose your destiny that's a tagline on some movie poster probably yeah cool right on what what do you want to do next uh well i guess we should catch some classics with corinne Hey nerds, Corinne here for part 25 of Catching the Classics, where I watch famous and popular movies I've never seen before and send in my review. This week, all of you voted for me to watch Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. And uh, I had some problems with it, but overall I I liked it. Um, Going into the movie, I knew the basic premise of like how Scott, played by Michael Sarah, has to fight all of, you know, this... Um, prospective girlfriends, evil exes, and knew some of the cast members. Like, I knew Chris Evans was in it. And, oh my gosh, I loved his character. (laughs) I liked how, like, weirdly meta and self-aware it was. Um, I don't really like Michael Sarah as an actor. I feel like he gets typecast as this kind of milquetoast sort of character a lot of the time. Um... He did pretty good, though. I think that it was kind of fitting here. Um, Everybody else did a great job. I think the thing about this movie that I really, really enjoyed was the action and the style of it. You know, just like all the different like comic book components that would pop up and video game references and things like that. It's a very stylized movie and um, has a lot of those Edgar Wright, like, quick cuts and weird transitions, and I, it works out really well, and I think it keeps it moving pretty good for the first 20, 25 minutes. I think it kind of slows down a little bit right before the first Evil X pops up, and other than that, um, I guess the worst thing I can say about the movie is I didn't really like how it treated its female characters and how it framed them within the narrative of, or, like, from the male character's perspective. And that's an entire rant I could go on, so I will spare you. Um, I will say that I was really not feeling how, like, I was not really appreciating how these characters were framed and treated. And then the kind of twist happens in the climax, and I was like, oh, that makes it better. It's still not perfect, but it makes it better. And so I appreciated that, that it was more about Scott realizing that he has to fight for himself and not for Ramona, that she's some kind of prize to be won, which, if, like I said, it's an entire rant I could go on, but I won't. Um, yeah. 
don't really have much to say other than that, surprisingly. Um, it's, it, it was, it was a good movie. It was worth watching, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't own it. I'd probably watch it again, maybe in a couple years, but I wasn't like goo goo gaga for it. And, but yeah, I liked it. I, hmm, I still think I like the, oh crap, now I can't think of the zombie movie, Shaun of the Dead. I like Shaun of the Dead of the Edgar Wright films the best. And then I'd say I'd put this one above Baby Driver and Hot Fuzz. So I guess this is like the second best of the Edgar Wright films I've seen. I don't know. I haven't seen Hot Fuzz in a while, so yeah. Yeah, I I, I think, yeah, it's just the performances and the pacing and it's just kind of this weird concept. And I guess uh, one thing that kind of bugged me was like, how casual they all were about, like, probably murdering people. Like, I think 20-some people die in this movie, and it's like, nobody cares or mentions it, really. It's very bizarre. So, anyway, um, there's that. And, uh, yeah, I, I think I, I, I'll give it three and a half. Mm, four stars, I guess, if we're doing the full star system. But yeah, three and a half or four stars, which I, I think is pretty fair. So, yeah, like I said, not a lot to say on it. Uh, of like a, so yeah. Um, next time I will be watching Top Hat, the movie with Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. Yeah, we're taking it way back th this next time. So hope you all had fun at it this weekend. And I will, I think that's the movie you were all going to see. Yeah, it, chapter two, whatever. Um, hope you all had fun at that, and I will talk to you all next time. Bye. I, Scott Pilgrim came out in 2010, so I don't think uh, Chris Evans was an action star yet. Fantastic Four and Fantastic Four Rise of Silver Surfer, I guess. Okay, yeah, I guess that's true. Um, and I think in the same year he did the Losers movie or something like that, or was that the year Oh, after? yeah, I think you're right, yeah. Or the year before? I don't really remember. Um, <clears throat> I have not watched Scott Pilgrim in a long time. Uh, I do remember my top 10 from 2010, and it was like number two. But having not watched it in a while and listening to her talk about it, yeah, I, uh, I, <laughs> from a, from a, from a hindsight point of view, that movie has a very, uh, its whole premise is predicated on something that is very outdated or something that's really needing to change. But uh, I'd have to rewatch it to see um, how egregious it it really is in that respect. Because ultimately, it is it's a video game movie. Yeah, it's, it's a fantasy world. But also, uh, it's important to note if you watch the Blu-ray special features or commentary or something, Edgar Wright talks about how the original finale. Um, Scott ends up with not with knives, mm -hmm. um, and then somewhere in post, he you know he kept watching it. He felt like uh, for the audience who had just went on this journey with him for so long, for him to not en like end up with um, Ramona. Ramona, it felt like a huge waste of time. Eh. Even though it makes more sense for him, because she's character, yeah, yeah, like he, for no good reason. Um, like he, there's no reason for him to be with her other than like he's fought a whole movie 
to get to the end. Right, which in a sense kind of ties into the fantasy element of it. I don't know, like... Like, they don't have seem to have anything super in common, or... I mean, I, I, like, again, I haven't seen the movie in a while, so I'd have to really, like, dig deep into it. But, like, it's an example of, like, things I really, really liked six or five or six years ago. Like, I, I don't know how much they hold up for me today. Um, like... When we do the 2009 film explosion list, it'll be interesting to see if anything's changed from that original list. Because I know there's some films that probably won't be on there, but some might actually move up. And Scott Pilgrim's something that I really, really enjoyed a lot of it, primarily because of just being able to see free movies. And I saw that thing like 10 times in theaters because I could go for free, which I'm probably the re- part of the reason why it didn't make a lot of money. But, uh, and, uh, uh, and uh, I also got to see it like super early at San Diego Comic-Con at the Balboa Theater after Edgar Wright's panel on it at Hall H. So that was like a really fun memory. So there's like positive things attached to it. So, but I will try within the next couple of weeks to rewatch it and see how I feel about it today. I don't think Michael Sarah's really milk toast in it though. If I remember, I think he's a little bit, <laughs> He's got more going on in there than usual. I mean, he's an asshole for yeah, large parts of it. That's the thing. Like, um, you want to watch him like go full blown, like ridiculous. Watch a movie called Youth and Revolt. Yeah. Uh, that well, this is the end where he has a cameo as the worst person in the party. Yeah, but if we're talking like a full fledged character, like, but yes, this is the end is a great like counterpoint to him doing that. And I actually think my favorite. Michael Sarah uh, performance as of late is probably Lego Batman movie where he plays Robin. Cause I think he just does a really good job of doing it. <laughs> oh, there he's being sweet and innocent again. <laughs> yeah. And then <laughs> I just love that his theme song is fly Robin fly. <laughs> yeah. Um, but thank you, Corinne. Um, and top hat with Fred Astaire. Can't go wrong with a little Fred Astaire in your life, my friend. Uh, although you, you had, a, <laughs> I guess you, you've probably only seen Xanadu really as a Fred Astaire movie, right? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he, he's very uh, charming. Like, I don't think could, I recognized it was him until the credits. Yeah. You could probably get the uh, impact that we all get from the full movies by watching him and Ginger Rogers dance on a YouTube clip. Um, but if you want the actual magic, watch the movie. But thank you, Corinne. I guess that brings us to movie news. Yeah, sure. Why not? It's real news. Uh, we got like tons of trailers, uh, and I'm not going to try to detail each and every one of them. We got a new Jojo Dra- Rabbit trailer, lo- which looks very good. Um, yeah. They are pushing the important angle on it, which I appreciate because it's, uh, it's an important topic to talk about. <laughs> Um, and also uh, it looks like everybody's on their a game in terms of performance. Um, one of my favorite trailers from the week though, is the between two ferns, the movie trailer with Zach Galifianakis. Cause I, when I heard they were going to make the movie, I had no idea what, what the hell that would be. And I, I must say I'm pleasantly surprised by the premise they're pitching on the trailer. So, um, I will definitely be watching it when it comes out. I think it's coming out this week on Netflix. So. Yeah, Netflix only. It's yeah, a so. funny gag that... <laughs> not in theaters, huh? Yeah. Huh. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, we also got a trailer for Bad Boys for Life. And wow. Uh, it's 
very, very aware of itself. I don't know how I feel about it. I don't know. It's yeah, I, don't I, know. Like I didn't the, really. I like the beginning of the trailer where they're making fun of the Michael Bay shot, but I was almost just kind of like, yeah, it's. We'll see how this goes. Like, yeah. It I'm wasn't kinda, really like a thing I grew up with. Yeah, and like. I, I, my favorite part of bad boys and, and anything to be honest is when they're referencing it in hot fuzz. So yeah. that, by the way, that's another movie Corinne needs to watch is it's not hot fuzz. She's already seen that, but she needs to watch the world's end. Cause that's the best Edgar Wright movie hands down. Um, uh, or at least my favorite. Um, uh, we, uh, also, um, got a trailer for black Christmas, the remake, um, which, uh, you re remake. Yeah, I guess so. Yes. The third time they're doing it. Um, I've never seen the 2006 one, so I don't know how faithful they are. I think I did. You did? Yeah, but I didn't see the one before that, so... Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't expect people to. Like, it's... Unless you follow horror like Ryan does and I do, like, you're not going to be fully aware of it, but it's a Bob Clark movie from, 19, from the 1970s that, like, really kind of introduces the call coming from inside the house uh, trope and... Um, it, the the trailer for this new one seems like they're really adding to a mythology on it, which sounds interesting. Uh, I, I don't know how to process it yet because I really don't know exactly what the movie's going to be other than there's clearly some kind of like university has a secret society plot that, you know, kills people for sacrifice and rituals and whatnot, which is becoming a trope, which is interesting. Like I'm seeing a lot more of that pop up, whether it's like ready or not, or other films kind of taking on that, that, that thematic concept. So, um, it'd be interesting to see what they do with it. And I like Carrie Elwes. So, and Imogene Poots too, from, uh, um, art of self-defense. And I thought she was one of the best parts of that movie. So, I will definitely be checking that out. Um, but the the uh, one of the most impressive trailers that I saw this week was uh, Dr. Sleep's new trailer that just dropped today. Um, I, I'm excited for this movie in a way that I don't know how to feel about because, like, I, I'm not... Uh, I agree with Ryan to a certain degree on The Shining not being, like, the best horror movie of all time. I think it is a good horror thriller, psychological thriller movie, uh, it's not one that I hold too deep, um, but I and I do like the Shining miniseries a lot in terms of it being faithful to that book because I've only read two Stephen King books in my life. They're The Shining and Carrie, and they're really good. Um, so with Doctor Sleep, though, I'm I'm fascinated by how they're towing the line between doing a sequel to Kubrick's film and keeping within Stephen King's realm because um, they're they're very different concepts because Kubrick. <laughs> Kubrick doesn't believe in God and Stephen King does. So, um, but, and I like Ewan McGregor. So, um, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll get to have some fun with that. And Mike Flanagan's an awesome director. If you haven't seen Gerald's game, you need to watch Gerald's game on Netflix. Um, some update on the Spider-Man, Sony, Disney debacle, um, or as I've been calling it, two billionaire companies whining. Um, the uh it looks like ceo of sony Pictures says for the moment the door is closed for spider-man's return um and john favreau was i guess giving some hope to this whole situation like cautiously optimistic um and it just sounds like for the moment like they're not gonna they're they're still trying to figure it out they're this is gonna be a we better buckle in for a bit of a ride on that situation 
I've become less and less interested on what happens to Spidey at this point because they made a decision and now I'm just like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, I mean, cool. What other movies are coming out this week? <laughs> Nothing we can do about it. Yeah, exactly. That's that's the ultimate thing. Like, I like the MCU a lot, but not enough to make it like my primary mission in life to make sure Disney gets everything it wants. So, um, and and even if I could, there's nothing I could do about that. So, sucks, but that's life. Um, did you like Tomb Raider the movie? I can't remember. No, not really. <laughs> well, you're getting a sequel. Um. It's going to be set for 2021. Alicia Vikander's returning. And Ben Wheatley, the director of Free Fire, is going to be at the helm. Um, I have not seen Free Fire. Uh, so I'm, but I, I, I'm aware of Ben Wheatley and the acclaim he's gotten. So I need to watch some of his movies. But it sounds like they've got a, 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 a person who has a vision of sorts to, to tackle it. So uh, that's pretty cool. The, maybe they'll get a, maybe they'll get a Tomb Raider movie they deserve. I don't know. I, I remember, thinking it was fine that first one it was like just it was just perfectly fine like i wasn't bored um uh we've uh, had a bit of controversy on this show in terms of uh, corinne's opinion on top gun uh versus ryan's <laughs> love of top gun uh and we had brought up amongst that that the editing team uh for the original top gun was nominated for oscars for that movie uh, and it looks like they're going to keep that uh, team intact because uh, Chris Levin's on. Uh, the original co-editor is coming back to do Top Gun Maverick. So uh, that's a fun little piece of news, bringing back the old crew. to. Uh, so, you know, maybe Corinne won't like the editing in Top Gun Maverick either. <laughs> Sounds like it. Yeah. Um, and uh, speaking of Edgar Wright, we got some first looks at his uh, spooky new film last night in Soho. Uh, just little pictures, but... Uh, I'm curious to see what he does with like a straight horror flick. Like I know it's probably going to have comedy elements in it, like Shaun of the Dead, but the focus will be different. It sounds like so, um, or, or maybe it won't. And maybe it'll surprise all of us. Um, did you know there's a Joker movie coming out with Joaquin Phoenix? Yep. Did you, did you know that Todd Phillips who directed the hangover movies is doing it? Yep. Do you know it just won the golden lion award at the Venice film festival? Yep. The reason I'm bringing this up, Brad, is I, I want to know what the world we live in is right now. I'm not saying that this shouldn't happen. I'm just amazed it is happening. Um, yeah, the the reviews out of the festivals are saying that Joker's like a, a supreme masterpiece. And uh, some of the reviews I've read have said some interesting things. So like in the next couple of weeks when we finally get to see it, I'm curious how we're all going to react. Yeah, I've seen positive and negative yeah. for that movie. So It seems like some people are wrestling a lot with the messages it's <laughs> proclaiming. So yeah. um, I, I, I've said it since the moment the first trailer dropped and the premise was dropped that this movie feels like it's an attempt to do a taxi driver or a king of comedy or some kind of like a very much a Scorsese kind of vibe or a Scorsese Schrader mix up. So, um, hey, I'm all down for that. If you could find a way to tell interesting stories within these IPs, please do so. Um uh, Midsummer, uh, Ari Aster's new film, came out with a director's cut in theaters not too long ago that added 20 minutes to that movie, which I did not get a chance to see. Uh, it's but, still out there. You could see it. Yes, you can. It's still available in theaters right now. Um, but if you are having to wait till home video, you're going to have to do Apple TV in order to do it because it's going to be an Apple TV exclusive. Uh, 
I'm not particularly happy about that, but uh, hey, it's a deal somebody's got to make to make some money, right? So, uh, especially if Midsummer is something that didn't like break box office records or anything. Um, I haven't like looked at it compared to say Hereditary. So, and then the last piece of news is something you're already aware of, but I want to let our uh, listeners know uh, if you've been following NECA's TMNT movie figures. Uh, you can now get Shredder and Splinter and Foot Soldiers. Uh, they're coming to GameStop in 2020. Yeah. So uh, you've already got those like I, in your sights. I did. Yeah. Uh, it's it's funny. I always, I don't know, get bent out of shape trying to track them down on that San Diego Comic Con sale. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously, you know. I have to roll the dice on whether or not they're going to be GameStop exclusives six months later. And yeah, I guess it's better safe than sorry on those figures. Do you so. end up paying more than what they or they'll charge, charge at GameStop? I think a little bit because the difference is I have like mine's coming in a special box mm-hmm. or mine did. Um, they'll be individually wrapped. Right. You know, at GameStop. I'm not like a toy collector, but I've seen the figures. Um, cause I helped you move. And, uh, um, and, and don't worry, I didn't break them. Um, but, uh, no, the, the boxes that they are packaged in are very nice and elaborate and they've got, yeah, the four turtles, it was a giant VHS recreation. It looks like that family home entertainment video that you'd get and whatnot, which that FHE. (laughs) The Foot Clan was more the stand, like the standard four pack size, the, like they've done a couple of other things in so it's it's a different shape of box but you know it's just it's just big foot clan bandana around a black box yeah and you've said that they they never initially released action figures for the movie anyway right or is that the reason they're putting them out or in the history of turtle figures yeah like or is it that NECA didn't put them out uh no like uh so playmates has like a very very tight exclusive license to Ninja Turtle figures in general, mm-hmm. and the closest they came to like making movie style turtles were the movie star turtles, mm-hmm. um, which were, you know, more detailed sculpts that had a rubbery texture to the plastic, right? Which were awesome. I, I adored those figures. I still have them, um, but no one, you know, made movie accurate sculpts for years because Playmates, no one could do it but Playmates, and Playmates didn't have very much incentive to do it. Um, so, and they even went through the second movie. So they did like a token Rizar and super shredder, uh, but that was it. So finally NECA discovered like, Hey, you know, there's these loopholes in their contract that we can exploit. <laughs> um, so, you know, we can do turtle sculpts as long as they're only sold at conventions Ah, or, you know, exclusives. Uh, or... You know, it's, it's also like, I think, like in North America or something like they're allowed to do stuff there versus Europe and they have to change things to do it in Europe and mm. it's complicated. And I'm, I'm just glad they've uh, found ways to get them beyond the comic con sale because so many people want those figures. Yeah. It, it'd be a shame that if only, you know, 10,000 people could ever have them. And we have to talk about like financial like obligations and whatnot, but ultimately like it is something that you're passionate about. So like, if you have a chance to get it in that nice packaging and on time and secure that for yourself, like it looks, it looks nice on a shelf. And yeah. it's, well, when you see like all these other franchises like RoboCop and Alien uh, and Predator and 
Um, they get like 500 action figures. Terminator. Yeah, yeah. like they, yeah, they get all kinds of different sculpts, and like it seems like every day they're coming out with something new. Yeah. As a turtle fan, you know, you're kind of limited to if if, if there's a cartoon on TV, mm-hmm. then you get new stuff. So, yeah, it's and also because when they did the movie Star Turtles in the 90s, you know, there was never a movie version of the Shredder from that movie. Right. Um, it was, That's the one you were telling me about. Yeah. Then, yeah. Like, no one did that costume design as a figure ever. Mm. Uh, and now there's a giant version and a, you know, six-inch version. There you go. Um, and count your blessings that you have, a, like, a, an IP like Turtles as one of your favorite things of all time because nobody's making Casablanca action figures for me. So. <laughs> <laughs> I don't or, know. I feel like they have. Ooh. I need to go looking on the internet, don't yeah, I? Yeah, you should scour eBay. <laughs> I'm going to buy them now and just, like, send you photos and just be like, look, look. Um, <laughs> You'll be like, I don't care. <laughs> like, a lot of people do custom mm-hmm. builds of things, so um, maybe someone, you know, not NECA or uh, a company. No, it's it. it's probably, like... like but I feel like there's a figure for everything. Yeah. Someone's I mean, done it. I mean, you found a Hitchcock one, so... <laughs> yeah. I'm sure someone's made a more detailed Hitchcock. Yeah. Oh, I'm... I'm I'm more than Screen sure accurate. That, yeah. So, and then they surprised me, like, even having that splinter. Mm-hmm. Like, they haven't done the giant splinter yet. So, when they put the six-inch splinter in that package, it's like, we have so much to look forward to. And I hope they get around to Casey Jones in April. Because mm. that, that Casey Jones has never been a and movie then, sculpt. And now, <laughs> oh, God, who played him again? It was... It wasn't Stacy, not Stacy Key. No, um, what's Elias Coteus. Elias Coteus. That's it. Yeah, I don't know why I get those two confused for some reason. Uh, but yeah, no, Elias. I know I'm an yeah. idiot. But Elias Coteus uh, action figure is something that every man, woman, and child needs. So yeah, you know. But then again, like there may be a, they may never get around to do it because who knows what the likeness rights are with him and. Um, I don't think Elias Coteus is going to have a problem having, wanting an action figure of himself from when, when he was a young man. Who knows? Maybe it's not his choice. Um, maybe the producers or Warner Brothers or Golden Harvest. What What if it is all up to him? He says no, and Warner Brothers or Golden Harvest or NECA contacts you and says you need to convince Elias Coteus. <laughs> That's going to be a tough sell. And it'll just be like a like a road trip movie where you have to convince your hero to do something, and on the way you learn about life, love, and happiness. <laughs> yeah, but like all the figures that are out now, except for Shredder, you know, they're not based on a person's likeness. They're based on character designs. Yeah. Well, uh, you're telling me there's not a William Fickner? <laughs> uh, no, they didn't do that. Action for, figure. Playmates didn't do that. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just... That movie. Uh, but anyway, that's news. Uh, why don't we do some Blu-ray releases? DVD releases and Blu-rays. Uh, last week, I uh, was confused if John Wick Chapter 3 was coming out on Blu-ray and 4K. Uh, it's probably because it was a mistake because it's coming out this week in Blu-ray and 4K and Steelbook. Way to um, go. Steelbook looks like a lot of fun uh, right there. You can get that at Best Buy. It looks like a painting. Yes, it does. And it, and it looks lovely. But I want a John Wick Chapter 1, 2, and 3 pack if possible. But since they're making a fourth one, I guess I shouldn't ask for that. Yeah, you should wait for the anthology. <laughs> Scream Factory will put it out at some the point. The John Wick saga. Yeah. <laughs> 20 films <laughs> I'm just getting started <laughs> um, 
Also on Blu-ray and 4K that's new this week, uh, you can get uh, not only the new 2019 Aladdin with Will Smith, uh, directed by Guy Ritchie, but you can also get the original Aladdin on uh, 4K Blu-ray. Um, and I guess it's part of this. Yes, it's part of the Signature Collection, so you can check that out. Um, you can also get 4K releases of Ratatouille, Finding Nemo, Cars, Brave, Inside Out, and Finding Dory, Cars 2. Uh, if you want, if you want some Pixar in your life, you're in luck. Um, my favorite, one of my two favorite releases this week is uh, the Cornetto trilogy is getting a 4K release. Uh, so I'm really glad I held out on not getting that three pack on Blu-ray. And they are a few months later releasing them separately. So I'm if you're not a fan of all three, they're all wonderful. Or if you enjoy having separate packaging. I do, but they're all wonderful, and I like the word Cornetto Trilogy as part of something. The three flavors. I just want it, Brad, and I want it now. Uh, they should make it like the box like a ice cream sandwich, like a Neapolitan ice cream sandwich. I wonder if it's because there's some kind of rights issue with doing that internationally. Oh, I'm paying sh- Cornetto for it? Yeah, probably. Yeah, because I'm sure they found a way to do it in a UK release of some kind that I'm not aware of, but... Unless I'm wrong. If we have UK listeners, prove me wrong in a very sexy British voice. Uh, also, Casino is coming to 4K. Uh, Martin Scorsese's three-hour gangster epic. Uh, you can pick that up on 4K. I'm going to get that because uh, I, I got, I've got Goodfellas on 4K, so I might as well get Casino. Uh, and Casino is a really good movie. It's one that I think gets uh, under-discussed in the realm of uh, Scorsese. Uh, and it's also coming out in a steel book too, which uh, is very enticing. Um, from Scream Factory, you can get Scars, Dracula, uh, and uh, it looks like it's a Hammer film, so you can check that out. Uh, yes, it is a Hammer film. Sorry, I'm an idiot. Uh, Daybreakers, <laughs> that Willem Dafoe, uh, Sam Neill vampire movie, you can pick it up in 4K. Uh, Stallone in Lockup. From 1989, I believe that was on your list from 1989? Yeah. Or was it Ryan's? Mine. Oh, is that yours? Okay. I have to ship it because they're not selling it in stores. Donald Sutherland is in it, and that's what makes me want to watch it. He's a bad warden. (laughs) (laughs) He's been a bad warden. Uh, You can also get Gregory Peck and Diane Baker in Mirage from 1965. It's from Kino Lorber. Uh, you can check that out. I have to have Brad's approval on that because I've been saying it wrong for months. That's right. Um, and... A lash for every time you screw it up. <laughs> <laughs> no, stop hitting me, Brad, please. <laughs> uh, also, you can get Reap the Wild Wind, uh, Cecil, Cecil B. DeMille's uh, uh, epic with John Wayne and Susan Hayward and Ray Milland. You can pick that up. Uh, it's a 1942 film. Um, it's a good flick. Uh, and... Killer Crocodile from 1989. You can pick that up. And there is a archive, uh, Warner Archive uh, re-release of Alfred Hitchcock's Dial M for Murder 3D. I find this interesting because I did not know Archive could do 3D releases. So it must mean they have overstock Mm. and they're just putting the archive label on it. Um, and it would also explain why I haven't been able to get that movie for cheap on Amazon. So um, right on. I'm totally down for um, uh, cooperating with them as long as they keep re-releasing good things. And that's it uh, as far as I can see. Uh, I'm sorry. If you want a Blu-ray of a Charlie Brown Thanksgiving or a Charlie Brown Christmas, this is your opportunity to do so. And that's Blu-rays.
Cool. Uh, let's talk about what we've been watching. So, uh, yeah, this is the stuff we've been watching. Brad, what have you watched this week? What have I been watching this week? Well, I finished Workaholics. Ooh. Seven seasons of that. Had and you not watched it before? Not really. I, I think I watched an, an episode like when it first premiered. That's kind of how I was. I didn't really get into those guys until their Game Over Man movie came out on Netflix. Um, yeah. Um, again, funny show. Um, I was really impressed with the finale because it's really kind of this meta episode where they kind of I don't know, take shots at Comedy Central. <laughs> um, you know, it kind of made it seem like, you know, they would have kept going with the show mm-hmm. if they had, you know, met some certain demands. Right. Um, and they were, you know, it, you kind of actually the penultimate episode and the final kind of seemed to like the plot revolves around, you know, them wanting to grow up, um, at, you know, as writers and uh, people, but being locked into being these shitty characters. <laughs> so, uh, at least that's what I think they were going for. Uh, so it was pretty cool because, yeah, those characters are terrible people, but yeah. th- the humor is that there's such screw-ups. Um, and I, I can understand, like, after seven seasons being like, you know, well, we, you know, we do good work. We want to do some maybe smarter stuff. Right. Um, so, yeah. Um, I also watched a new Jean-Claude Van Damme movie. There's a new one? Well, about a year old. Oh, um, okay. But well, it, it was on Amazon Prime, so I got to... Uh, check it out without buying it. What was it called? It's called Blackwater. Um, okay. It has Jean-Claude Van Damme and Dolph Lundgren in it. Wow. Universal Soldier uh, duo back together again. Yeah, if you that's again. a te- that's a team up I didn't know I wanted again. <laughs> um, well, you barely get it because Lundgren's in it for maybe three scenes and less than five minutes, maybe. Came out last year, you said. Last year or the year before? He's busy with Creed 2 and uh, Aquaman. Yeah. Uh, so Jean-Claude Van Damme is, I don't know, some spy government agent. Not quite clear. Um, Insert badass title here. Yeah. He uh, he comes into... Uh, uh, he, he, he acquires this flash drive mm-hmm. um, and then... Meets up with his <laughs> needs help working it. <laughs> no, it's it's got these important files on him. Okay, um, and there's like a another spy who he's sleeping with. Mm-hmm. They meet up, and then in the process, uh, she gets murdered by this mystery faction, um, and so he gets captured and thrown into this dark site, which is on a submarine off the coast of the Gulf. I guess. So now he's encroaching on Seagal territory. <laughs> so he's locked up down there. Also, um, Dolph Lundgren. Mm-hmm. It's a prison for a mini prison for all these people who don't exist. Um, and so the government uh, is trying to question him about where he hid the, the flash drive. And then you find out that his boss is actually the bad guy trying to get no. the flash drive. Uh... And then it's a twist. Yeah, Van Dam escapes, recruits some of that guy's guys to his side. So the whole time, everyone's not sure who's playing who. Well, they're all mercenaries, right? And ultimately, they have to um, get the submarine above water so they can send out a signal to let them know what's going on. Okay. Get the information out. Yeah, there you go. Um, it's a very small movie. It feels. Very inexpensive. 
Um, just call it cheap. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's kind of, you know, Van, Van Damme's on a sub, so there's not a lot of room for him to move around and do. Right. I mean, he's also in his 50s, maybe early 60s, so it's not like he can do jump flying kicks and stuff. So it's a lot of gunplay and not a terribly interesting story. And then, like I said, Dolph Lundgren is just this other prisoner who Van Damme gets to communicate with once in a while. And then um, he's got some mysterious past and, you know, he eventually breaks out, helps him kill a couple guys and then just disappears. Mm. Um, so underwhelming to say the least. Yeah. It's just, you know, it, it just feels like, it just feels like a, such a small low budget movie, which is fine. But you know, you want to see Van Damme and Dolph Lundgren like be badasses and, uh, Van Damme's a great actor in it, but you know, like I said, he doesn't get to do a whole lot, but look tired. It's almost like it's just he's just not getting material. Let's, yeah, let's and then say. also like there's some goofy stuff where like a lot of people are shooting at each other at like point blank range and still missing. Mm-hmm. Um, just a lot of convenience, especially like there's an interrogation scene where Van Damme is you know locked in an interrogation room on the sub, um, and then his boss is staying there right in front of him with a pistol and then Van Damme like just flips backward in his seat mm-hmm. and even though they're this far away from each other <laughs> Van Damme evades the bullet <laughs> and then like rolls out of the room and you know this I, I don't know CIA FBI guy yeah um, is shooting at him across the room and still can't hit him you know it's, it's stuff like that it just feels like and he's not like he's not like there's no shot of him like dodging it or just trying to evade like you know it's, it's on the the visual edit the cuts oh uh, okay so like that's how they get away with him uh, missing it but i gotcha because i'm like if you're if in, you think about it it's just like if you're in that compact an area like and then a scene later that guy's telling his his mercenaries to not kill him it's like you almost just shot him in the interrogation room uh, like now Suddenly you want him alive? Yeah, it's something like that. Some just... ru- there's some room logic going on around here. Yeah, it's um, it's kind of rough. Yeah, but uh, hey, it's on Prime. It's free. Can't go wrong there, right? Yeah. Um, also on Prime, I started watching uh, the Hannibal series. Oh, how you liking it? I'm kind of bored. <laughs> I know James loves it. Wow, really? Um, You're bored? I don't know. Like, I get that. Can you keep in mind that if this was on NBC? This was on NBC. It doesn't matter. I'm watching it on Prime right now. Oh, okay. So, and it is, I guess, pretty uh, intense for network television, but I'm just, you know, it, it's a show about Hannibal, and I think I watched three episodes, and he seems like a fourth, uh, like a tertiary character. Just wait. I know it's building up to that. Yeah. Like, but just, there's a lot of Will Graham and whatever he, I, I'm not sure what his problem is. Um, it gets better. Yeah, I mean, it it's really you can't good. wait till the tenth episode to get better. Like, <laughs> you got to maintain my interest for you know this is the third episode. Yeah, are you a are you are you a huge Hannibal Lecter fan at all? Or I mean, outside of Silence of the Lambs, I guess I should I should ask because that's like a masterpiece of cinema. Obviously, yes, and Anthony Hopkins as that character, yeah, it's great. Um, it's just I haven't been able to see uh, Mads Mikkelsen play him that much so like for yeah. so far it just seems like he's this guy in the background i, I know he's pulling the strings of something but it's like i i don't i don't see him right. as a fully fleshed out character yet he just seems less like this other guy in the show you know you know what i find interesting at least from my perspective having watched it is that 
I really appreciate how they, because they don't get to do sounds with the lambs because the show ends. Um, so it's not really a spoiler. It's just, that's a story they just don't get to tell yet. Um, or do hopefully they can find a way to do it somehow. But, yeah. um, but also but after the, three episodes, this serial killer isn't that fascinating to me either. Right. But what I will say and why I encourage you to keep going is because the way they handle Red Dragon and um, to an extent Hannibal, um, which is actually the sequel novel, and kind of deal with things that happen in there, it gets very – it it becomes something to chew on. It is very – like the the beginning of it is you have to not suffer. I don't say suffer. You just have to get through those like those bumps in there. It's it's not unlike my love of community where community took a while for me to really like community. Um, And um, and, and just also what they're – a part of it is what they're able to get away with on network television. Like it's pretty astounding. I think I remember uh, Breaking Bad. I was like the first episode was okay, but then the second episode I was like – now the show's awesome. Yeah, I know, and and not every if some shows get it get it within there right off the bat, but yeah, but uh, I guess I'm just exhausted from watching Will be tortured by whatever empathy problem he has. Yeah, it like I say, just keep watching. You'll have some fun, especially yeah. if it's all on Prime. You got nothing to lose. Yeah, I'll stick with it. Yeah. But right now, I'm just like, please, where's this going? Um, I need something. Right, throw on. me a bone for sure. Um, and then the last thing I watched was. Uh, Avengers Endgame for the fifteenth time, but this time in 40x. And how did you like it in 40x? Uh, pretty awesome. Um, it, it snowed in the theater. Really? Yeah, on uh, Vormir. Oh wow! Um, and it gets cold, and it gets windy, and then when things explode, there's smoke that comes out of the seats. Oh, I cannot do this experience at all. <laughs> I will not do that. No. Um, what else? Uh, yeah, obviously the seats move around a bunch. Um, in some weird places, though, um, like uh, when the title screen comes on, you know, the letters Endgame yeah. flash, the seats just kind of like start to sway a little bit. I'm just like, <laughs> you know, I wish you'd put a little more effort away from that into the smell part- component of it because there's only, at least I only remember there being two smells the whole time mm-hmm. and they weren't connected to some obvious things on screen. So there was like burnt rubber for, you know, destruction. And then uh, what was the other one? Oh, shoot. Oh, yeah. Um, Thanos' retreat planet. Yeah. There's like this aromatic, like flowery scent that you get. Yeah. Uh, blown at you. But then there's parts of the movie that directly call out like, you know, this smells like the characters, but there's no accompanying smell for it. So like... um. Oh shoot! What was it? I should have prepared better. Oh, like when they go to Thor's, um, to New Asgard, right? Yeah. And Rocket directly says, "You know, oh man, something died in here. <laughs> like they should throw something horribly smelly at you." Ah. And the other one is when Ant Man shrinks down and goes inside Tony Stark's heart machine. Uh-huh. Um, and he says, "Like, is that Axe body spray? Like they should throw some Axe body spray at you." So I. I agree with that one. Um, I especially agree with like, it sounds like something died in here. That like, sounds like a total John waters in polyester <laughs> thing to do. Like, um, it's a weird side tangent, but criterion's putting out, um, 
that film and it had a smell vision card uh, in the 80s before that Rugrat movie did it. Yeah. And uh, the, the, the scratch card, it's John Waters, so the scratch... It was a Spy Kids movie. No, Spy Kids was just 3D. I thought they talked about smell vision but anyway. Um, but the in the John Waters one, the, the smells were designed not to be pleasant, so there was like urine, puke, fart, mm-hmm. shit, and like... It's it's waters. It's what he does. Yeah. But like, yeah, you I agree. It yourself. If, if yeah. you're going, if you're going to like give them the full 40x experience, um, which is something that I just, my anxiety would not be able to handle it well. But uh, if you're gonna do it, go the full Monty and whatnot. Like, yeah. The only thing I think of is like maybe it takes like I don't obscene amount of time to like reload a smell chamber it might something. and also this thing's new here at pavilions right yeah it might have malfunctioned so maybe it does have that and it didn't work who knows um but yeah also it's <laughs> nose <laughs> all right uh, this has been real nerds podcast yeah. for the week i killed it <laughs> good night no, you're not but, gonna no audience you don't get to hear about it chapter two <laughs> yeah other than that it was cool like um it's it's a shame it was only around for like a week. Oh, um, so it's their testing ground for it for right now. Uh, yeah, I don't know exactly when it opened, but they had that and it's in like two other movies that were old. Okay, playing that same week, and there it was just different times of the day. So there's like one showing per day. I want Chris Rock's new Saw movie to be in 4DX. Okay, Psycho. I just want to I just want to <laughs> see how far they'll go with this technology. Uh, I won't go to it. But the cool part was because it was like a pre, like a recently released thing. It wasn't full price, so it was only oh. ten bucks. Ooh, um, which when I did it in L.A., it was like I don't know twenty three or something for Jumanji: Welcome to the Jungle. That's around the same price of an IMAX ticket at this yeah, point, though. Which is pretty so, awesome. Which is part of why I want to do Regal's um, unlimited uh, pass. Unlimited. It's not because I want to give Regal money. I really would rather do anything else than that. But. I don't think the unlimited applies to special screenings, though. I believe IMAX is included in it, and if it isn't, then oh, IMAX, yeah, IMAX. That's the thing. Like, I mean, I, I I mean, like I said, I'm not going to go to 40x, but like, I like going to IMAX a lot. So, um, and we'll actually talk about that in our review this week. But um, I'd like to go to more of those. You know, but they've got it chapter two in 40x right now. I'm curious as to what that, like, what that design is like. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, also, um. When they chop off uh, Thanos' head, yeah, they spit water at you. <laughs> uh, actually, there's a lo- and then uh, when Ronin's in Japan or Tokyo, yeah, just constant rainfall. It was almost too much. I was like, okay, I'm getting feeling a little soggy. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Are you experiencing it yet? Are you experiencing it yet? <laughs> when uh, when the, when Ant Man's got the tacos and the spaceship comes down and blows the tacos out of his hands, yeah, like huge blast of. <laughs> air shoots at your face and actually they've got like little air blasters in your headrest uh-huh so they like shoot out next to your ears um yeah no never going to 40x brad you will never drag me to that wow um anything else anything else i'll buy 500 teenage mutant ninja turtle blu-rays before <laughs> i do that and i and i clearly didn't buy one yesterday yeah you uh, missed your opportunity i got the odd couple on dvd when they're trying to charge 44 dollars for it on amazon i think i won you could add three movies. I and you think, only got one. I think I won. Anyway, did you watch anything else this week? That's it. What'd you watch? Um, not what a whole... twenty things you watch. Oh, twenty things. Uh, that's 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 adorable. Um, 
after we recorded last week, I uh, rewatched Frenzy, um, uh, Hitchcock's penultimate film. Uh, it's a film, actually, that I'd be interested to know what you think about it because it's it was made in the 70s, so it's a little bit more modern aesthetic. It's not... Um, uh, and it's a it's a little more overt with its violence, so it's it's a little more explicit. Um, but it's basically about a it's about a guy who uh, gets framed for uh, being the necktie murderer. Um, this guy is going around; he rapes and kills women with his necktie and just dumps them in the river. And um, this guy gets framed for it, and it's about him trying to clear his name. And the whole time, uh, we are we are already told that um, his old RAF buddy is the actual necktie murderer. So it's kind of a we show you the bomb; it's going to go off. And I would just kind of watch like how this proceeds. And it's it's an amazing film from Hitchcock because it is the final time he gets to kind of lay down his claim to the cinematic throne. Um, a lot of the things he accomplishes early on in his career and then proceeds within Psycho and the Birds is very much kind of solidified by this film as a, as a statement. Like, if I'm going out, I'm going out on my own terms. I mean, honestly, it's not unlike how we're talking about Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood to an extent. It's not the last film he would do, but it's it's really the last true Hitchcock movie. Um, cause family plot, I don't think I'd put it in that realm, but it's a good movie. I actually think, I, I, I think at the very least you might be intrigued by, um, how it's constructed. Um, uh, but it's, it's also a very violent movie and a very, very movie of its time. So there's a, there's a lot of context and it's the only time he ever used nudity in the film and it's done in a very disturbing way. Um, but, uh, it, 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 it's very much an example of how he was trying to push the boundaries of what you could show on screen at the time, which coming from him was intriguing because everybody else, the you, the new guys had already been doing it. So it's like, well, wh- what does a master do with that scenario? So um, I rewatched a night at the opera, uh, the Marx brothers film uh, things, still a masterpiece, 90 solid minutes of comedy. Um, I liked it so much that when the projector was down at fitness cinema, I did a full session on it on my phone. So I just rented it off my phone and did it. Uh, it was about an hour and 32 minutes. Um, I was able to get 5.93 miles on it and I laughed off 961 calories. Uh, and I did this all on an incline actually, um, this time around cause I was trying to give myself a challenge with 90 minutes. Um, and like that movie's great. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a film where, the the producer at MGM at the time knew exactly how to take these guys who had made five very solid comedies and find a way to make them even more accessible to the public. Um, and then I rewatched the day at the races, which is their follow-up film with that. Uh, and it's, it's still solid. I don't like it as much as night at the opera. I've never really have. Um, and there's some, uh, there's some, intri- there's some weird minstrel stuff going on in one scene in the movie, but um, and it only comes after this wonderful jazz number with a lot of like great African-American musicians getting to do their thing. But then the Marx Brothers, in order to hide themselves, have to put on like mud and they pretend they're black. And it's it's unfortunate. Um, but the movie's great um, and in spite of those things and uh, rises above it. And I and it's never really done in a hurtful way like they're they're I, I, anyway. 
Uh, and then I watched their movie Room Service, which is weak as all heck. It's very much too it's too slapsticky, not Marx Brothers enough. Um, and then I watched At the Circus, which is a step up above that, and it has the great musical number Lydia the Tattooed Lady. Um, <clears throat> like some some fun watches within that. Um, uh, I watched a movie called Here Comes Cookie, which is a film that I'd seen years ago. It's with Burns and Allen. Uh, it's a solid hour and nine minute flick that, uh, just shows you the beauty of the Burns and Allen routine and how it was able to translate into film and how film at that time was really trying to figure out what was going to appeal to the mass audience. So they're grabbing these old vaudeville acts and giving, putting them in movies like that. Like WC Fields was the king of that in that respect. And Burns and Allen had a very solid career in it and, like this is among this is near a time when this would be among the last films George Burns would ever make until 1974 when he did the Sunshine Boys and won his Oscar. Um, and then the last thing uh, that I saw this week was uh, I went to the second uh, week of Hitch with a Twist at the Shea Artiste on Wednesday night, and I saw 1942, 1941, sorry, 1941's screwball comedy Mr. and Mrs. Smith, which is directed by Hitchcock, uh, has Robert Montgomery and Carol Lombard, and, and I've seen the movie before, so it's a, it's a perfectly fine screwball comedy. My, my, my opinion on the film has always been that it's a fine screwball comedy that proves that Hitchcock could have done that with the rest of his career if he had wanted to. But uh, in, if you're talking about the pantheon of screwball comedies and like things we think about with that subject, it's it's mid tier, like it's it's an unfair legacy to live up to. Uh, but Carol Lombard, um, this was her second to last film. Her last film is To Be or Not to Be, one of my favorites of all time. So watching her on a big screen was an experience in and of itself. Um, the, uh, the the basic plot is that uh, a married couple finds out that through a loophole they weren't actually married, and so the uh, the wife played by Carol Lombard uses it as a tool to be able to <laughs> play the dating field, and uh, the movie is about her trying to date a new guy who turns out to be the business partner of her now ex husband. And meanwhile, the ex-husband's trying to win her back um, because he made a statement earlier on in the movie that if he had to do it all over again, he probably wouldn't marry her. And he was just, you know, speaking off the cuff and, and you shouldn't do that. But be careful what you wish for in, in uh, 1941 screwball comedy, Brad, because you'll get it. Um, but like I say, she's luminous on screen. Like it, it's it's sort of tragic. And I know it sounds weird to say this about a person who's been dead for over 80 years, but uh it's unfortunate that she died the way she did and that she died when she did because we could have had so many more movies with her. So it's very unfortunate. Uh, but it, but it's it's amazing to watch her on that screen. And as a Hitchcock movie, he does be he is able to give his visual flourish to it. But I think a lot of the accomplishment of the film is knowing how to time it correctly and do the comedy correctly. And it's astounding um, how much of it he's able to accomplish because most of his humor tends to be a little bit more maudlin or like on the on the um on the dark side of things so it's not necessarily light and cheery um and he he does it like a champ and he uses the pov a lot in the film uh and manages to create a fluidity to it um and it looked great on that big screen and it was a nearly sold out crowd which i was shocked by because i did not expect that film to have the uh, the 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 attendance it did uh 
clear why they do those series that they share at East because clearly there's a huge audience down there for it. Yeah, and a and a following of people. And I think part of that has to do with Carol Lombard because that's a name you can sell even without Hitchcock attached to it. Um, ropes this week, so I'll be going to that with uh, Andrew Bueno, and um, I think you said you were going. I don't know, but um, uh, I don't know. If not, oh well, we'll find a way to get you to watch Rope. Um, but yeah, and then the following week is Charade, which is not Hitchcock; it's Stanley Donan, but it's Hitchcock like. So um, yeah, that's all I watched this week. Uh, review time. Review time. This week we watched It Chapter Two. Zach, should people see It Chapter Two? Uh yeah. First of all, I want to. <laughs> I have to. Uh, Actually, scratch that. That's what Ryan says. Oh, okay. The question should be: Did you enjoy it, Chapter Two? Yeah. Um. Really quickly, I do want to preface. I do want to thank the Punk Rock Horror uh podcast for uh, uh giving me the opportunity to watch the film with them last Tuesday, <laughs> uh, at an advanced screening in IMAX. Um, and they're a good podcast. You should check them out. They're a, a Denver podcast. Um, and they talk horror and punk rock and kind of you know macabre stuff um and uh so that was a great experience uh i liked the movie a lot um i want to watch it again to see how i feel about it in terms of uh how it compares to the experience of the first one because i didn't rewatch the first one prior to going in so i kind of got to play I got to play into a unique area where I'm seeing it like fresh in a sense. Um, I think that the film has some editing issues um, in certain places, uh, but the overall experience is worth it. They are able to do things for a horror film of this length and this size that is bonkers. Um, and I think uh, Bill Skarsgård's still great as Pennywise. Uh, I was amazed by Bill Hader in this movie. It is it is incredible how much he gets to do. Um, and I will throw out the token that I think actually James McAvoy is really good in the movie too. Um, we'll talk about the rest of the adult cast and how they measure up to the um, uh, to the to their kid counterparts because that's a big part of this movie and also of the it experience overall. Um, but yeah, I would go see it. It's a blockbuster horror film why wouldn't you go see it like you don't get a lot of those and it's nearly three hours it's a whole evening of your time to just sit back and watch stephen king's stuff going on brad did you enjoy it chapter two i did and i enjoyed it more than the first chapter hmm. here's the trailer i'll tell you more after the trailer <laughs> something happens to you when you leave this town farther away the hazier it all gets but me I never left I remember all of it We made an oath. I swear. If it isn't dead. If it ever comes back. We'll come back to you. We didn't stop it. Anyways. 
the cloud. We can't let it happen again. Yeah, I, I don't remember the first one having a, narr- a narrator, did it? No, 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 no. Yeah, no. so that threw me off. That just feels like if you're watching them back-to-back, suddenly in the middle, um, someone comes on and starts explaining. I guess it's Mike's voice, right? No, it's Mike Hanlon like, calling them yeah. one by one, which is something they did in the miniseries. And, uh, full disclosure, I've never read the book. Yeah, me so, either. Uh, so we're, we're both blank here. doesn't matter, but the first movie, I don't remember their... Like Mike didn't do like a prologue or a no, but so. but I think it's honestly because they didn't they were working off of if like if this if this first one doesn't work then we can't do part two. Yeah, because there was that. I mean that that chapter one at the end credits of the first one is sort of a gamble on the filmmakers and Warner Brothers part. Um, but yeah, like um, you know, I I think Ryan's big question was like, as adults, are you going to care as much? Mm-hmm. And can you scare an adult more, like, as easily, like, yeah, as easily as you can do it to children? Yeah. And I think they did a really good job of, I mean, it wasn't really scary to me, but I think they did uh, put in some scenarios that were legitimately terrifying and made sense to those characters. Because you, a lot of what uh, Pennywise puts them through is them reliving their childhood selves in mm-hmm. those scenarios yeah. Uh, rather than seeing the adults go through it. Yeah. Uh, you just, they get to experience the aftermath on screen. Um, and then also the underlying story I think is presented really well. It's like, it's not so much about the clown and the scares. It's really, um, you know, what we didn't see after the movie ended, like how their relationship is friends dissolved and went separate ways. Um, there were some weird parts that um, didn't make sense to me, like uh, the whole fact that they lose their memory of it the further the way they are from Derry. Right. Um, that felt odd uh, for uh, the way it was presented. It seemed like um, when Mike called them all back, they had a very they were very aware of why they should be going back. Mm-hmm. But once they got to the 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 Chinese restaurant, they seemed to forget instantaneously why they came back mm-hmm. um 
I, so that was confusing. And I know specifically what you, you told me why it is, but it still felt weird as someone just trying to follow from an outsider's perspective. Yeah. I guess I better get into the issues that I do have with the film. Um, there's some underdevelopments uh, and underdevelopment um, happening within the first 15 to 20 minutes of the movie um, because I feel it's a little rushed. Um, and I don't, th- I don't think it's, it, it's not something to ever deter you from watching the movie by any sense. It's me being picky um, to a certain degree, but I agree. There's, they, they could elaborate better on, Hey, this is what's going on with, um, with the memory situation, like even if they just had a little bit more discussion about it, they don't even have to fully explain it for me. Like if you can, but like I knew from the get go, like, yeah, your memory kind of fades. And as a theme from, from the mini series that I saw, but also just how it works as a, as a story is just like, yeah, as you get older, you forget things that happened in your youth and it's like repressed trauma (laughs) coming back at you, um, which thematically makes total sense for the movie that they're making. Yeah. Um, but those are those experiences are very unique. <laughs> yeah, I know. And, 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 I, 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 I'd be surprised if anyone could ever forget going through stuff like that. Drama can be repressed, I guess, um, and it comes out in different ways. Um, but my uh, my ultimate like beef with the beginning of the movie is um, uh, when the loser when the losers club is reintroduced as adults. It feels way too quick, and some of the editing feels a little. Uh, ill-constructed in terms of how it transitions. It's not bad. It's just it feels weird. Um, and but, but the the moments themselves where you're seeing them as adults and in their own environment are effective and good. Um, like there's two great cameos in this, or three great cameos in this film. One of them uh, I'm going to talk about right now is watching Peter Bogdanovich sit in a director's chair for what seems like the first time in ever, because he plays the director of Bill's movie. Uh, and I don't know why, but like, I'm, I was happy to know that I heard more than one, more than just me laughing at the fact that Peter Bogdanovich is in it. Chapter two, it just seems like that shouldn't be happening. Uh, but um, the first great cameo in this movie is actually Xavier Dolan, uh, who's an independent filmmaker, uh, playing uh, the kid who uh, gets assaulted at the beginning at the bridge. Uh, and I think it's a great opening to the movie. I think it is very, very, very effective, very solid horror filmmaking. Um, not even, not even when the clown shows up. Before that, just watching those guys like be terrible to like and kick the shit out of them like it's just it's it's amazing how uh how effective it is it's a scary uh scene and does we see all those balloons coming from under the bridge it's it's epic it's this movie has scope and scale and i love it yeah the other thing i enjoyed was the like the special effects especially in the finale oh yeah we'll get to that pretty impressive um but the other one the gripe i felt like towards the end i was surprised how not obvious it was to those characters that fear fuels Pennywise. <laughs> yeah. And the, the, it took them forever to kind of realize that they should just not be afraid. Again, they're, they're, they're re- recalling how this all happens and isn't takes that they, place. Isn't that how they defeated him the first time around was like, they stopped being but, afraid and but they, so they, let's kill this fucking clown. But they don't remember. Yeah. But I mean, like 
is it that like it's it's that foreign to him? It I after I will, all they've remembered at this point in the movie. I understand what you're saying. <laughs> I'm just gonna tell you on emotional level, it works just fine, and it, and it, and it is effective. Yeah, as, as an audience member though, I'm just like I just hate being so far ahead of the characters. I'm just like stop being afraid, stop being afraid. Like, yeah, just waiting for that scene to happen so you get like. Just getting frustrated instead of enjoying it for me, which is something that can happen in a horror movie, and yeah, you know, you. But but I, I was more in tuned with it, I guess, than if that. I mean, if we're going off of that realm, because there's some there's some uh, areas of exploration with the characters uh, as adults, and then looking back on them as kids that prove really fascinating. Um, I, I will say Jessica Chastain's really good in the movie. I wish she had more to do. Uh, I. Don't know if she gets enough to do, but the stuff she does get to do, she's really good in. And I loved her in her scenes. And uh, consequently, though, the guy who's playing older Ben, I feel, gets the shaft. Uh, I feel like he doesn't get a lot to do. Um, uh, Thankfully, though, he still gets his moments in the movie. Like, we get a classic line from that miniseries via flashback with or a, a dream slash flashback with uh kid ben um when they're in the uh classroom and then bev turns on fire and uh pennywise comes out and does the kiss me fat boy line um and then that's followed up later down the line with his um sinking into the sand and pennywise going like all oh, those push-ups and all oh, those sit-ups you're always gonna be alone and i was just like oh this is really good they're giving him stuff to do um but uh and then uh uh Richie uh as a character though gets a lot to do and a lot of it having to do with uh <laughs> I, it's not funny because it's a very serious moment and a very scary moment but I love Bill Skarsgård's delivery when he's floating over uh Richie in the town square going I know your secret like it's a really effective horror scene uh, and Bill Hader's character is revealed to be gay um, as the movie goes on and that he was in love with Eddie and uh, which makes Eddie the guy who's playing Eddie's performance is as an adult is pretty, pretty, pretty spot on. It's very well executed and brings an emotional climax to that movie in a way that I, I wasn't expecting because I don't remember the miniseries that well, but I don't remember if everybody got out of there alive or not. Um, also, I was... the Alma pre-show said that uh, Pennywise chose like Universal Monsters mm-hmm. to appear as. So all, oh, yeah, yeah. All, all these sequences are completely brand new, not even in the book, right? Yeah, well, because th- obviously it, they can't use Universal monsters in a Warner Brothers movie. Well, yeah, in the miniseries they didn't even do the Universal monsters either, so um, yeah. it's uh, it's it's always it's it's always been different because it's just like it's so in a, the book they're Universal monsters. Yeah, that's what I've heard. I mean, again, I'm not like I I've heard that, but in comparison to say like, well, the miniseries just did something different with it. But I mean, they did some kind of. I know one of them was but, a skeleton. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, again, like you're talking to the, to an ignorant Stephen King fan. Like I like the movie adaptations a lot. Uh, but, uh, uh, the, the climax or the, the ending, the, the, the final act of the film is bonkers. And I was impressed because going into it, Ryan had already spoiled for me, like what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was surprised how well they portrayed it and how it didn't seem that goofy to me. 
not only that, but how they explained it was pretty efficient. Like you're talking about like Lovecraftian mythology, like cosmic beings, like coming down millennia ago. And um, what I loved about the final, I, I mean, the beginning two thirds of the movie, by the way, are scary and have some wonderful visual and special effects and stuff like that. But the third act in when they go back to the house uh, and I, my, one of my favorite shots in the movie this year is inspired by a shot from one of my favorite horror movies, which is we get to see Stanley, um, whose character had killed himself earlier on in the movie. And he's kind of haunting the losers, uh, with the image of Stanley, <laughs> the head of kid Stanley gets turned into a spider and raises itself up. Like it's out of John Carpenter's the thing. And, that thing is clearly a combo of practical and CGI and it looks incredible. Uh, I was astounded that they got away with doing that. And then to have your clown spider, which I thought was a great way to bridge the gap between, yes, it's a giant spider at the end of the movie, but what if we find a way to put Bill Skarsgård in there? (laughs) And, uh, uh, and I've heard the things about the turtle, I'm glad it wasn't that, and I'm glad they just found a way to use fear, use the lack of fear against him. And when he's all deflated, and he looks like yeah, it was a pretty cool effect. It looks like something that comes out of like a Guillermo del Toro Blade movie. Like it's like it's 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 really good puppetry. Um, and yeah, um, and uh, you know, like at the end of the day, I think with 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 this version of it, like I put the first one as one of my top 10 uh from 2017 and i still stand by that i think it's a wonderful film on its own uh this one has the potential to 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 be among that for me i need to watch it again but i don't think it would be for the same reasons that i liked the first one a lot i think it's coming from a very different angle of just like look at this two hour 50 minute horror movie and how much they're able to do in it like that it's insane what they're able to do with it from a big blockbustery epic Warner Brothers presents it chapter two. Oh, I'm gonna put Lovecraft monsters in this movie that like bite heads off of people and blood spurting into a bathroom as symbolism for womanhood. Like it, it is it is insane what they get to, get to do with this movie. And this is a studio movie, like pure on studio like new line might be their co-banner on it but this is this is warner brothers putting this out um and and as as always bill skarsgård crushes this role to a nth degree when they're in the fun house with um james mcavoy and the kid he met on the street and uh pennywise is bashing his head against the glass it's one of the most unnerving scenes in a movie I've seen this year. And it kind of further attests to me that I think uh, McAvoy is actually really good in the role as Bill. And I think he handles the stutter perfectly. He's one of those actors that I think we tend to underestimate a lot. And then we watch him and he's like, oh, he's really good. So, but yeah, it chapter two, really good. And wonderful. It was wonderful in IMAX. Uh, it looked oh, really good in IMAX. IMAX. That's right. Yeah, uh, that's that's how I got to see it, and it looked amazing in IMAX. Um, especially the uh, a lot of the stuff in the climax works very well on there, uh, and actually the beginning with the balloons uh, worked really well too. Um, oh, and Stephen King's cameo is fucking amazing, and uh, I'm oh, not yeah. I'm not one to suggest a supporting actor 
uh, campaign for people in it chapter two per se, but everybody's talk everybody's talking about Bill Hader. I'm just saying Stephen King because that's a supporting role technically. That is a cameo. <laughs> Shut up. If we can give an Oscar to Judy Dench for Elizabeth or not Elizabeth, uh, Shakespeare in Love, we can give Stephen King an Oscar. Just saying. So I was just checking the. I didn't look at the gross this weekend. Ninety-one million. Yeah, it. Uh, yeah, apparently it's underwhelming a little bit. Like by, uh, yeah. it's off by ten million on the projections. But I mean, Toy Story did the same thing too and managed to gross like a billion dollars. So. It's a three-hour horror movie. Yeah, I don't think the first one was. I know it was long. It was but two hours and twenty minutes, something yeah. like that. Yeah, two hours and seventeen, whatever. So, but yeah, I um I cannot wait to see what he does with the six-hour supercut that he's talking about. Yeah, well, he's got Flash to work on, so... You know what? I, I, I'm i fine if he doesn't do that. I'm fine if Machete is to do another horror movie and we can just let the Flash die. No, I think he's proven <laughs> with this one I, he can be creative, so... Yeah. I think he's, he'll, he'll have, hopefully have some good ideas for Flash. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure he's got some fine Whatever ideas. that's going to be. I'm sure he's got some fine ideas. But another horror movie. <laughs> uh, anyway. So next week, we don't know what we're seeing. Next week is a mystery... That only you, the listener, can solve. Um, uh, want to play a game? Uh, I, I I'm not Jigsaw, and this is this joke isn't yeah, working. We're, Brad. Nope, stop. <laughs> well, while you're looking at it, um, Let's uh, double check. Like we said before, check out the 48 hour uh, best of screening um, this Thursday. Yeah, Rambo is two weeks from now. So, yeah, we don't know what we're doing next week. We could be doing anything, guys. In the coming weeks, we will be doing a full explosion 19... No, 2009. 2009. 2009. We already did 99 at the last minute. Yeah, that's right. Um, uh, rush. So, we don't know which week, but you might want to get your list ready to send to us so Itch. you're not blindsided by our announcement. Hey, hey, blindsided? That's a movie from 2009. Is blindsided. Is yeah. Oh, yeah. that's... that's funny hey, that hey out like you know that. what you can you know you it's th- not on my list there's a lot of stars that trek in that movie i'll tell you that much oh, i yeah. see what you're doing yeah exactly um, hey watch man i'll tell you all about this bronson yeah bronson's a movie from then <laughs> yeah yeah don't 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 blow from that black dynamite <laughs> you know what brad you sound like an inglorious bastard to the moon with you <laughs> zach to the moon <laughs> You know what? You Just don't tell have, people buy already. You don't have to be a serious man about this. <laughs> um, something about Revenge of the Fallen. <laughs> I don't know. Well, uh, as far as next week, though, that's all up in the air. So, I know. I'm happy with that one. Have avatar. <laughs> Ch- change your avatar. <laughs> I Hey, Brad, I see you. <laughs> Is that a movie? That's That's from Avatar. Don't ask me how I remember that. You saw it. I didn't. You didn't see Avatar? No. Ooh, maybe you should rewatch it before 2009 film explosion. But again, until next week, we have no idea what the hell we're doing. Yeah, we'll figure it out. Yeah. We always do. But until next week, bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Real Nerds Podcast. Real Nerds Podcast is a production of Nebulous Visions Multimedia. 
Thank you to Sparks Mandrill and Plan 9 Studios for our kick-ass theme song. Also, if you're in the Denver area and you're looking for a cool place to see movies, we see them at the Alamo Draft House in Littleton and now also in Sloan's Lake. Thank you to Colorado Coins, Cards, and Comics for supplying us with all our comic needs, especially you, Andrew. You know who you are. And a big shout-out to James's mom. I'm giving you an electronic hug that you can feel through the airwaves. Thanks for listening, and have a nice day.